It's Tuesday. You know what that means. It's time for the best and brightest moment of your week. It's time for that show you love and that show that you seek. It's time for nonsense. 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 The show. The best damn show you know. The following program contains scenes and language of a frank and explicit nature. Viewer discretion is advised. Under 17, not admitted without parent. 100% satisfaction guarantee. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? I didn't hear you because this is a podcast, but I'm going to ask you one more time. Are you ready? Coming to you from the Sunrise Studios at the Broadway Manor. He is known far and wide as the finest pirate sailing the seven seas today. California's truest son. He's got a beautiful beard and a bald head to match. He's got the voice of an angel and a face made for radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the airwaves. The one and the only yours truly, Captain Nick. Ooh, ladies and gentlemen, episode number 211 of Nonsense the Show is here. Let's go ahead and just turn this intro music down a little bit. Special thanks to Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen, Dennis Rodman, and the Chicago Bulls for granting me zero approval to use that song in this show. Might just go ahead and let it run out, though. I kind of like it. It's good background music, you know what I'm saying? Um... (laughs) <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, episode 211 of Nonsense the Show. It's an episode I'm simply going to entitle The Master of Unsuccessful Endeavors. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to, uh, well, really, I don't have any specific reason for that title. It's just a phrase I came up with a while back, and I like it, so I'm going to use it. <laughs> um, tonight, what are we going to have on the show for you guys? We're going to do a little bit of discussion about what's going on in my world. We're going to do a little bit of discussion. Uh, about a, uh, uh, an, uh, I guess an idea I'm going to put out there to you guys. I'm going to share a little bit of stuff about what I'm calling the Dream Big program, um, and I'm going to ask you guys to submit your own. We're going to do a quick little book review. Uh, we're going to talk about what am I watching. We might even uh, discuss a lost treasure. Hello for those of you mentioning the Lost Treasure series. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what I think about the state of nonsense, the show, where it's at, what are we doing. We're 10 episodes in. This is number 11 uh, of season two. Where are we at? What's going on? How's it going? We're going to do that. We're going to talk a little bit about escaping from reality. The world's a little nuts. I'm in my head a lot lately. What have I been doing to get out of it? What recommendations can I make for you? Um, What's the deal with escaping from reality? We're going to talk about it. And uh, actually, in coordination with the Dream Big program, we're going to talk a little bit about a mysterious and interesting concept called a micronation. Hope you guys are ready. I know I sure am. Um, 
I don't have a lot of preparation done for this show because I have found that when I do a lot of preparation for these shows, as far as like finding articles, finding stories, like prepping a show sheet, doing all these things that I like doing because it's, it's, it's enjoyable work and it also makes me feel organized and professional and all that. But I also find that it kind of, uh, kind of hinders the entertainment value of the show, at least in my eyes. I don't know if you guys agree. But in my eyes, uh, the more preparation and like structuring I do ahead of time, the less enjoyable the show is. I don't give myself enough room to kind of be myself. I spend most of the time reading. Um, and then I get uncomfortable. And then halfway through the show, I realize it's not going well. And I kind of panic a little bit. You know, it's all part of the learning process. Um, so tonight, spontaneous. Off the top of my head, I have bullet points. And that's freaking it. <laughs> So we'll see how it goes. I hope it's enjoyable. I hope you guys are all doing well. Uh, I hope you're all finding some peace and some comfort and some happiness in this topsy-turvy, crazy world we're living in. So uh, let's just dive right into the intro section. What's going on with Captain Nick? Um, it's hard to say, really. I'm not in a bad mood. I'm not. Well, that's not entirely true. Okay, so here's the deal. I think we're all going through kind of a collective bit of exhaustion after the last year and everything we've been going through. Um, I think we're all feeling stressed out at the state of the world, the state of our relationships, the state of our jobs, the state, you know, just the state of everything. Everything's kind of chaos right now. It doesn't seem like anybody's in control and anybody really uh, knows what's going on. You know, it seems like there's a lot of different ideas and nobody can agree on anything. And that I tend to find in times like this, I really struggle. I really get into a bad place. My head starts acting up. I start feeling real, uh, I guess, just unsure. I can't, I can't, I don't feel like I've got solid ground under me. Um, but I've been putting a lot of work in. My mood is overall pretty good. I've been keeping it together. I've been staying productive. Um, whether the work I'm putting out is quality or not is not up to me. That's up to you guys. But I'm enjoying doing it, and that, I think, is the most important thing. Um, I've got this big situation I'm planning for next year. Um I've got the calendar that I'm working on, which test shots are underway. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> I'm still working on wrapping my head around exactly how to put this thing together and exactly what it's going to look like. And I think part of that is just um, the stage I'm in now, taking a bunch of test pictures and seeing what I like and seeing what theming and what framing and what all, you know, all that stuff works. I'm not a professional photographer. I'm an amateur hobbyist photographer. I'll be using, uh, you know, equipment on hand and all that to, to, to make this work. So, um, but I want it to be good. I want it to be worth your time. I want it to be, uh, I want it to live up to the excitement, you know, for all like 12 of you guys that are pumped about it. Um, not to mention, I really hope it goes well so that it'll help me fund this, this big adventure for next year, which you guys will all have an opportunity to play a part in at some point. Um, when I kind of feel like it's right to share the whole details, which I'm not sure when I'm going to. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm just feeling a little weird. And like, as I was prepping this show today, I had a whole bunch of stuff ready and I kind of just scrapped it and said, well, screw it. I'll just do some bullet points. We'll get on here. We'll talk, play, have a little fun. You know, maybe I'll put on some, uh, you know, put on some, put on some tune skis. Let's see. I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. Get a little, get a little funk music in the background. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I don't know the name of this song, but it's from super bad, which has a phenomenal funkadelic soundtrack. You guys can't see it, you can't hear it, but I'm dancing, and I hope you are too. 
Um, so I'm just trying to find ways to feel good. I'm trying to find ways to keep my mood up, keep my spirits up, keep myself feeling optimistic. Trying to find ways to, uh, you know, make sure make sure I don't lose the progress I've been making these last few months. Um, which is always a challenge when, you know, when you go through a little bit of a, a downspurt, when the initial excitement wears off. Um, I, you know, screw it. Let's just go ahead and segue right into the nonsense of the show thing because this is kind of pertinent to what we're doing. Um, I realized last week, so last week's episode, I don't, I don't think was one of my best for multiple reasons, but one of the reasons is that it got the lowest listeners of any episode yet. And I'm doing my best not to be fixated on the numbers, but I recognize that there's a, there's a part of me that is going to be checking those and following them and trying to gather whatever I can out of that data. And uh, I'm not sure yet because it's still such a small thing. It's only been 10 episodes. So I don't really have enough data to, to, to fold anything from yet. Um, we're at something like 250 some odd total listens for all the episodes so far and 25, 26 um, regular listeners, which the math works out. So, you know, obviously the goal is to make those bigger. The goal is to uh, keep expanding that. Um, but I'm going through this process of figuring out what is this show? What does it look like? What's the format? What works? What do the listeners want to hear? And as with anything else where you're doing something like this, it's difficult to get feedback from people because out of, let's say every 10 people that listen, maybe one of them will be willing to write to you and they might do it once or twice, but they're not going to be doing it regularly. You know, maybe when you get up to 100 people listening, maybe you'll get one that writes regularly every episode. Like, hey, I liked this. I didn't like this. What do you think about that? Here's some ideas, whatever. And I find that these things tend to work a lot better when you have that kind of interaction, which is part of the reason I'm, I'm pushing it and kind of talking about it so much in these early stages is I want to start building it up. That way, as the show goes on, um, more people will kind of know, like, yeah, that's what we want. We want that interaction. I want you guys to feel like you have a voice on the show. Um I want you to feel like I'm, I'm listening to you because as much as you're out there listening to me, I want to listen to you. So, um, you know, but this is, this is just a fun hobby. This is what I do to entertain myself and enjoy myself because I always wanted to be a radio DJ and, and now I get to, I get to play that part, you know, so to speak. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting though, trying to, to gauge based on the, the data that we have, however limited it is, what types of shows work? Do you guys prefer when the show is more scripted and when I'm reading you long stories and kind of doing quick discussions about them? Do you prefer when it's mostly me freewheeling and just rolling whatever is off the top of my head, which I know is a little tough because I get a little space Casey sometimes. That's a fact. That's a damn fact. Um, But yeah, so we'll see. It's it's right now really what it is, is is I just need to try not to fix it on the numbers. I need to try to put out a consistent and quality show every week and just try to grow a little bit, a little bit, a little bit at a time. And eventually it'll get somewhere. If I put out good enough stuff, you guys will tell your friends. They'll start listening. They'll tune in, and, and the audience base will grow. It'll grow. It'll grow. It'll grow. Eventually, it'll turn into something great. That's the goal. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of the state of nonsense. Ten episodes in, still trucking along, still doing our best with it, having fun with it. I get excited to do it every week, um, even on a day like today when my mood is, is a little bit wonky and my head's a little bit out of, out of whack, um, sitting down, putting some tunes on, pouring myself a drink, uh, got my little studio all set up, get my headphones on, got my notepad in front of me. And, 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 um, I just, I feel like I'm in my, in my zone. I feel like I'm in my space. You know, it just, it just freaking makes me happy. That's really all it comes down to is it just makes me happy. And that's what we're all looking for in life, right? Just a little bit of happiness. Nonsense. The show ends up uh, for as much silliness as it is. It also ends up being very much a therapy session for me. It's therapy via microphone.
Um, all right. So just to get off all that uh, little heavier stuff, let me let me just dip into something that I've been doing a lot lately to cope with what's going on in the world. I mean, this is something I do all the time. This is something that I've been doing my entire life. It evolves, of course, over time. It's getting bigger. It's getting grander, whatever. But um, I am I am an imagination man. I love the imagination. I love diving into my imagination and finding out what's all in there. What can I create there? What can I do there to escape the real world and the things that I don't like in it or things that I'm dealing with that are overwhelming me? I can dip into my head for a little bit have a couple of dreams and I can live a different life for a little while. Um, which is, it's just, it's just a nice way to, to, to get through things and, and to, to, to maintain a little sanity, so to speak. So I was thinking the other day about some of these, these ridiculous big dreams I have, things that I wish I were able to do, things that I hope one day to be able to do. And it's not just, oh, I want to buy a 1965 Lincoln Continental um, you know, it's, it's not just, I want to have a ranch someday where I got a little piece of land where I can build a shooting range and go for a hike and get me a dog or two, let them run around free. Um, kind of not be bothered by anybody. Those, those are all big dreams. Those are all things I want. Those are all things that I hope someday to achieve. Ideally through doing work just like this. We'll see. Time will tell. Um, but there are, there are bigger dreams. There are more outlandish dreams. There are more nonsensical dreams. I've had a dream for my entire life about how cool it would be to buy myself a big piece of land, build myself a little house, a little compound on a hill, right? And, and what I would do is I would, I would kind of model it after uh, this incredible Chinese garden I went to up in Portland, Oregon. It's, it's the size of a city block, and it's, it's one of the most beautiful and incredible places I've ever been in my life. I went there by myself in the evening after spending a whole day wandering museums and restaurants and things um, after a weekend uh, with my brother and a bunch of his buddies at my brother's bachelor party. Phenomenal weekend, a lot of drinking, a lot of fun, not too much sleep. And so I, I booked an extra day up there just so I could spend some time by myself. As I was walking around, I found this this walled block. It was just a city block with a big wall around it. And every so often in the wall were these beautiful windows, you know, kind of stone frames inside them or stucco or whatever the wall was made out of. And looking through these 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 windows... I saw the most fantastical and beautiful things, the, the gazebos and the, 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 the water features, the fish ponds, the bridges, the plants. The, I mean, it was, it was just one of the most beautiful fantasy worlds I, ever, I had ever seen after walking through the kind of dirty, um, you know, trash-filled streets of, of Portland in the area that I was in. So I go and I pay my fee and I go through the gate and I'm one of the only people there. And I hadn't eaten much. It's, you know, it's late afternoon by this point. And uh, I, I take my time just walking around. And, and I caught myself. At one point, I was, I was crossing this little bridge over, over the fish pond. There's koi swimming around in there, all kind of different beautiful colors and big size fishes. And, and there's dozens and dozens of them. And you're in this kind of private little section. Everywhere you go are these little, like, private scenes set with the winding paths and kind of walls and windows and little buildings but it's all based around this central massive koi pond with bridges and all this stuff. And at this one point I was on this little gazebo on a bridge looking at the fish and I sat down and I was taking notes in my notebooks. I was going to write about it later. And I just started crying. And it was that crying of like, wow, I'm in, I'm in a place that's so beautiful and so serene and so magical. I can't even help it. It just, this emotion has to come out of me. Um, 
which is one of those moments where when, when you're able to recognize it, when you're able to really just embrace it as it happens, um, it's one of the more beautiful things I can remember feeling. And I've always thought to myself how incredible it would be to live in a place like that. Mm. Pardon me, I didn't finish describing it. So as I finished walking around, and there's some stuff that, that talks about the history of the family and the history of um, kind of these types of, of gardens and these types of homes with small buildings placed along the, out, you know, along the, the perimeter wall um, in order to leave as much of the interior space open uh, as possible. Um, and so it almost ends up looking like a little village built amongst this, this magical garden. And at the back of the property was a two-story building. It was the biggest building in the, you know, in the complex. And you go inside and it's a, it's a beautiful, small kind of traditional, traditionally decorated, um, restaurant, tea house. So I got taken upstairs. I got sat by a window. Again, there's nobody else in the place. Um, I sit down, I order a couple of very small plates and some tea and I'm taking my notes and I'm writing my story and, and the window's open and I'm overlooking the whole place and the breeze is blowing softly and somewhere um, they've got music playing. Traditional music to match the atmosphere. I wish I could tell you artists or song titles or anything like that, but I don't know. Um, I'll have to do some research and find it. But I always remember that place and the feelings it gave me and the magic it had. And I thought, how incredible would it be to take a place like that and make one based off of those feelings that it evoked, but make it in my own image. Add a little piratical flair. Add a little magic and mystery of my own in there. Um, and then have that be my private. So I've always thought how wonderful it would be to build a place like that up on top of a hill, overlooking a beautiful valley. And down in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in that valley, I would like to build my own version of kind of the, the, the Universal Studios back lot. I want a small town square. I want a place where I can host events. You've got a, you've got a, a, a town square with a, a little city hall. You've got a little diner. You got a little police station. You know, barbershop, general store, whatever. But I want my own little town. A couple of apartments I can rent out to people. Let them run run businesses out of out of some of the shop fronts. Try to host as many events as we can there, just to bring people in. And it's our own kind of fictional little place that people can come and inhabit and be a part of. And we can we can make it our own. And it's something that I've fleshed out in so many different ways. I've got. I've got drawings, I've got maps, I've got different ideas for events that could be planned there and how I could share this space with charities and sports teams and the cities, you know, just all the different ways I can make it useful to the community while I have my own little fantasy city, you know? Um, And that all goes back to that imagination thing and and how much I love diving into it. But these kind of big dreams are, are, are things that I love diving into. The odds of it ever happening are, 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 I mean, slim and none is too generous. I mean, I've got to be a, a billionaire to be able to even con- uh, consider taking on a, a project like that. And that's not going to happen. But that doesn't mean that the thought and the dream doesn't have some value, right? So what I want to do is I want to challenge you guys. And I want to make a request of you. I want you to share with me your big dreams. It doesn't matter what it is. I, I just want it to be big. I want it to be wild. And whatever that means to you, I want you to tell me what you would do if you had a billion dollars to do whatever you want with. Would you use it selfishly? Would you use it to benefit people? What would you build? What would you buy? What kind of crazy, ridiculous things would you do? What kind of person would you be? 
Would you put on a character like I would? Would you carry a, a, a sack full of, of custom coins with your, with your name and your face on them to give out to people as gifts just because it strokes your ego and because, well, screw it, I'm rich, I can. <laughs> you know, would you, uh, would you dress like a king or a queen? Would you, uh, would you dress like a schlub and, and try not to let anybody know you had that kind of money? Um, and the money is not the goal, but it's, it's the freedom and the power that comes with the money, the ability to enact these things and to do things that, that quote unquote, normal people will never be able to do. I love that. So I want you to tell me what your big dreams are. Dreaming is important in hard times. Dreaming is especially important in hard times. Um, so what I would like very much is I would like for you to email me beardandbones at gmail.com. I want you to tell me what your dreams are. I want you to tell me your biggest, most outlandish, most ridiculous dream. Can you do that for me? Shoot me an email. I'll read some of them on the show. We'll discuss them. We'll imagine them. And who knows? Maybe someday somebody will listen and they'll be able to help you achieve it. And I can put them in touch with you. Wouldn't that be incredible? So that's what's going on with my dream big stuff. That's, that's just one of the silly things I was thinking about. And um, as time goes on, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about some big dreams I've got and some of the silly ways that I've, uh, I've, I've allowed my imagination to run with those. And I guess um, right now would be a pretty damn good time to let you know about the sponsor of this show. Let me just go ahead and pick... Uh, mm-hmm. I was trying to pick some music that I could put up with this. And, oh, here we go. Okay. I don't know how long this one is, so we're just going to, we're going to have to wing it. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode of Nonsense the Show, as always, is brought to you by the one and only Patrick Brooks at Paso Wineshine. If you want to get drunk and forget about the realities of the world, Paso Wineshine is the place for you. If you want to get drunk and forget about your ex-girlfriend, Paso Wineshine is the place for you. Did your sports team lose the big game? Paso Wineshine. Did your dog get sick and cost you a lot of money to make him feel better? Paso Wineshine. Whatever you've got going in your life, whether it's good, bad, or otherwise, Paso Wineshine is the company for you. They make whiskey, they make brandy, they make gin, they make vodka, they make some other stuff. No matter what you buy from them, it'll taste good and it'll get you drunk. And if you tell them Captain Nick sent you, they'll send me free things too. Excellent. Reach out to Paso Wineshine on the Instagram, at Paso Wineshine. Brewed and distilled in partnership with the Tin City, Tin City Distillery in Paso Robles, California. Uh, I, I guess please drink responsibly or something. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for <laughs> indulging that sponsor review. Um, <clears throat> now that we've handled our business, I'm going to give you a little bit of a review of a book that I read God, it's been almost four years ago now. My Lord. Um, I read this book several years ago, and I still think about it often. I think I need to reread it again because I really enjoyed it, and I think if I go back into it now, I'll have a little bit a little bit even more appreciation for it. It's a book uh, by a man called Eric Larson. It's called The Devil in the White City, Murder, Magic, and Madness at the Fair that Changed America. Bringing Chicago 13... Mmm, mm, words are hard. 
Yeah, I'm a professional. No big deal. Bringing Chicago circa 1893 to vivid life. Eric Larson's spellbinding bestseller intertwines the true tale of two men, the brilliant architect behind the legendary 1893 World's Fair, striving to secure America's place in the world, and the cunning serial killer who used the fair to lure his victims to their death. Combining meticulous research with nail-biting storytelling, Eric Larson has crafted a narrative with all the wonder of a newly discovered history and the thrills of the best fiction. This is a book all about a man called H.H. Holmes. Mr. Holmes was a uh, a swindler and a nefarious character, uh, moved to Chicago right around the time of the beginning of planning and construction for the World's Fair of 1893 in Chicago, and ended up taking advantage of the chaos, the transitory nature of so many of the people coming through, and the general lack of, of accountability for anybody at the time um, to indulge some of his more twisted and disgusting fantasies. He's one of the most prolific serial killers in American history. And as you hear his story of building a, a murder hotel with secret rooms and torture chambers and all kinds of twisted and terrible ways to make people feel pain and fear and eventually death, um, as well as the means to dispose of those bodies. How did he evade the authorities? How did he evade the families of the peoples he killed? Um, all of that story is told in riveting detail, and it's offset with following the tale of the planners and architects of the World's Fair itself. It gives you incredible context in history for why that World Fair was such a big deal, why that time in Chicago was such a dynamic and exciting time in the, in the history of the world. And it'll also give you a lot of really interesting details that I never thought I wanted to know about landscape design, landscape architecture, true architecture as far as uh, buildings and towers and things like that. You'll hear a little bit from Mr. Gustav Eiffel. That's right, the man who uh, created the Eiffel Tower, also invented the Ferris wheel. You'll hear all about that in this one. You'll hear all about the challenges of turning a, a, a dreary, dusty, swamp land portion of Chicago into an incredible metropolis in just a few short years with limited budget, limited manpower, and limited technology. You'll learn about the birth of skyscrapers and how skyscraper architecture came to be. It's all woven seamlessly together. Let's go ahead and take a look at the page count for you because I know that's important to some people. You're looking at about 390 pages, which is not terrible for a book of this magnitude with this much information told in such an interesting and, uh, and fascinating way. So I wanted just to, uh, I wanted to shout this one out to you. This is one that I recently recommended to, uh, to another friend and a listener of the show. Hello, Emily. Um, again, it's, it's just high on my list. It's one of those books that I really enjoyed. It, it sits on my, uh, my favorite shelf in the library, and uh, I'm going to reread it again soon. So I thought I would let you all know, and uh, if anybody you guys want to jump in and do a book, uh, book club on this, let me know. We'll read it together one chapter at a time. We'll discuss it. We'll see what we can learn from each other. It'll be... Uh, It'll be a kick in the pants. Uh, so there's the captain's book review this week, ladies and gentlemen. Um, all right, all right, all right. As you can see, we are cooking through this show absolutely beautifully. Let me go ahead and put on a little background music. Hmm. I'm going to put on a little, little bit of that funk soul, brother. Just because I need the vibe. I need the vibes tonight. You know, I'm sipping on a glass of wine. Got a little bit of wine hiccups. The rain is coming down outside. It's a dark and stormy night in the small town of Sonoma. Sip of wine for a dark and stormy night. 
gentlemen so let's see what else we got on the list of potential topics for tonight's entertainment what am i watching lately what's on tv what kind of movies are going on i recently had a discussion with my dear friend mr danger shoop himself shout out to danger shoop and in fact i want to take another sip of wine for that glorious man right now danger shoop this next glug is for you (sighs) matt and i were discussing Um, what would happen if he somehow came into a billion dollars and I made the joke to him that he should hire me immediately to uh, coordinate his entertainment for him. executive entertainment coordinator. No director is what I called it. The executive entertainment director. Isn't that a great title? I think I'd be great at it. So in the spirit of those duties, I'm going to tell you guys, what have I been watching in the last week or two? What do I think about it? And do I think you should check it out? Maybe you'll give me some recommendations as well so that I can see what you're watching. Beard and Bones at gmail.com. Beard and Bones on the Instagram. The two shows we're going to talk about this week. Uh, the first one is on HBO. Uh, it was a Cinemax uh, show. And then um, I guess HBO bought it. It's called Warrior. What it is, is it's set in about the 1870s in San Francisco. Set there in Chinatown. It's about a man uh, called Ah Song. Who comes over from China with the, uh, the intent of finding his sister and attempting to bring her home after a family tragedy. As he comes to San Francisco and finds out what the world is like for a Chinese man in San Francisco of the 1870s, he falls into the local uh, the local power struggles. Ends up uh, becoming uh, becoming an enforcer for one of the one of the Chinese gangs called the Tongs, called the Hop Wei. His feud with his sister is now set in stone because she is the leader. Of a rival faction, the show follows the story of 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 the the Tongs warring for for power in Chinatown as they battle against the police officers, the Irish workmen whose jobs they are quote unquote stealing, and the political world that that revolves around all of them. Um, I would describe it very much as a it's a spaghetti western set in Chinatown. Imagine if you would. A spaghetti western and a Bruce Lee kung fu film. Have a have a love child. It's gorgeous. The fight scenes are brutal. There's a little bit of violence, a little bit of blood, a little bit of love. The dialogue is excellent. The characters are interesting, and the setting is fantastic. There's even a small scene featured in my hometown of Sonoma. Two seasons right now up on HBO Max. Highly recommended. I really enjoyed it. I had to uh, really challenge myself to to uh, ration my episodes so I didn't run through them too quick. It's a very, very, very good show. The other show that I've been watching lately, I'm only partway through uh, right now the third season, um, is Cobra Kai on Netflix. If you were ever a fan of the Karate Kid movies or even uh, any, you know, that, ty- that type of film uh, coming out of the 80s, Cobra Kai is for you. What they've managed to do is take the spirit and the tone of the original Karate Kid movies, and they've morphed them into the modern world. They've been able to weave storylines together. They've been able to give you a new perspective on the original stories. They do lots of tie-ins to the original that are done very well. There's some cheesiness. There's some hokiness. But you know what? It's just a fun, enjoyable way to spend a little bit of time. Check out Cobra Kai on Netflix. Make sure you tell me what you think about both of those shows. 
Um, they're just two shows that I'm, I'm enjoying thoroughly and I really, really think you should try out as well. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as soon as I rig up, let me just rig this up, please. Hmm. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't know what, hmm, I should have planned this a little earlier. That's not what we want. All right, well, that's what. Put on a little Bruno Mars. The song's called Treasure, which is why I decided to use it for this. I have a feeling the treasure Bruno is talking about in this song is not the same as the treasure I'm about to talk to you. I have a feeling uh, his treasure is treasure. Forgot how much I like Bruno Mars's music. I'm about to start listening to some more of him. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Bruno's probably talking about the treasure of love, romance, relationships, and quite possibly premarital sexual intercourse. Dang, dang, that's right. That's what all the cool kids are doing on here. I am going to tell you about a different kind of treasure. And as I'm reading, uh, starting this, I realized I didn't read through this before I started. So I apologize. We're just going to have to, <laughs> we're going to go through it. But I know you guys enjoy the treasure hunting series, so I don't feel quite as bad about reading. So stand by and listen close while I tell you all about the lost treasure of Captain William Kidd. It was cold and rainy in the morning. Mm, hang on. If we're going to do this, we're going to do this right. You know what I mean? So let's do. We're going to put on a little pirate background music. Let's see what we've got here. Hmm. Yeah, all right. That's fine. We'll just go with this. It was cold and rainy on the morning of May 23rd, 1701 in London. Perfect weather for an execution. The convicted William Kidd was led to the gallows, defiant to the end. The noose was placed around his neck and the wood block kicked out from beneath him. Though the rope broke and Kidd's life was spared for a few moments, a second attempt put an end to the brief career of one of the most famous pirates in history. The end of Kidd's life was only the beginning of his legend, though, for what most people remember him for is not his adventures but his infamous buried treasure. Which many people believe might still be waiting to be discovered underneath the soil of New Jersey. Many people are unaware of the role New Jersey, and especially the Raritan Bay shore, played in the lives of many pirate legends in the late 17th and early 18th centuries. The waters between Sandy Hook and New York City were infested with pirates. Blackbeard raided farms and villages near what is today Middletown and Captain Morgan often visited the area. A triad of politicians, businessmen, and shipowners who were either bribed by or did business with the pirates protected them. Many wealthy colonial families' fortunes began by either investing in pirate expeditions or buying plundered goods and reselling them at a large profit. Pirates were not only tolerated, but in many cases, they were openly encouraged. The most famous pirate ever to trawl the Jersey waters was the notorious Captain Kidd. 
Captain Kidd was a resident of New York City when he traveled to England in 1695 in search of a commission in the Royal Navy. He was born around 1645 in Scotland, and after commanding a privateer ship in a successful expedition in the Caribbean, he established himself as a wealthy and politically connected colonist. Kidd then married a wealthy Monmouth County widow. Failing to gain a command in the British Navy, he was persuaded by political associates and schemers to seek a privateering license. With backing from many of the leading men of the time in England, Kidd was granted a license to seize and capture French and pirate ships and split the booty with the Crown and his backers. In May 1696, Kidd set sail from England to New York City in his new ship, the Adventure Galley. On the way, much of his crew was forcibly drafted by a British Navy warship. This forced Kidd to to recruit a new crew when he arrived in New York and to pay them a larger share of the profit than he expected. He promised the crew 60% of the booty taken, but unfortunately, he had already promised 60% to his backers. With this inauspicious start, Kidd left for the Red Sea to seek his fortune. In the spring of 1697, the Adventure Galley arrived in the Red Sea. Kidd quickly forgot about his primary mission and ignored various pirates he encountered. He even docked in the same ports with some, making no attempt to apprehend them, as he was commissioned to do by the license granted to him by the king. Kidd did try to keep keep to his promise to attack only French ships at first. However, his crew quickly tired of allowing rich ships of other nationalities to pass unmolested and attempted a mutiny. It was during this revolt that Kidd killed a gunner, William Moore, with a blow to the head, using a bucket as a weapon. The crew backed down, but Kidd was forever changed by the incident and began to attack ships no matter what their nationality or origin. He had officially become a pirate. After attacking and capturing several ships, Kidd made his name in pirate lore with the capture of the Kata Merchant, a fabulously rich Indian ship traveling with silks, guns, spices, and gold. He split some of the booty with his crew, scuttled the adventure galley, and sailed for the Caribbean on the captured Indian vessel, now renamed the Adventure Prize. Upon arrival, Kidd learned he'd been denounced as a pirate and was wanted by the British Crown. After scuttling the ship, he purchased a small sloop named the San Antonio and headed for Boston with a small crew and hoped to take care of the problem. On the way to Boston, Kidd stopped at various locations in New Jersey and dropped anchor off the coast of Monmouth County in Raritan Bay. From there, he sent landing parties ashore to New Jersey and New York City to fix his pirate problem by using his political connections and the proceeds of his captured booty. It was common practice for pirates to buy safety or pardons from corrupt colonial politicians. After bribing all the appropriate people and hiding some of his treasure, Kidd left for Boston to meet with the governor. Upon his arrival in Boston, Kidd was arrested by the new governor and imprisoned. He claimed to have hidden a treasure of 40,000 British pounds. But rumors at the time put, the, put his missing treasure at closer to 400,000 pounds. Only 10,000 pounds was ever recovered, and it was sent to England along with Kidd in early 1700. In order to protect prominent backers and associates, Kidd was given a quick trial, with limited evidence allowed by the court and some evidence suppressed by the prosecution. He was found guilty of the murder of William Moore and of piracy, and was sentenced to be publicly hanged. 
he maintained his innocence to the end and promised to retrieve his treasure to give it to his backers and the government if only they would release him and give him a ship. Whether he was telling the truth or just trying to save his neck, we will never know. After his execution, Kidd's body was covered with tar, bound with chains, and hung over the Thames River in London as a warning to all future pirates. It remained there for years, until finally, it rotted completely away. Soon after Kidd's arrest, gold and other treasure, worth about 20,000 pounds, more than $1 million in today's value, was dug up on Gardner's Island off the coast of Long Island. Kidd left it there, in the care of Jonathan Gardner, who cooperated with British authorities in retrieving it. The finding of this treasure, along with Kidd's insistence of a fabulous treasure hidden elsewhere, began the never-ending search for the legendary buried treasure of Captain Kidd. Though many places in New Jersey have been advanced as the site of Kidd's hidden treasure, four have have a particularly strong claim. One site is Cape May, where pirate and other ships often stopped because it was a source of fresh water. Another possible location is an island that was located at the mouth of the Toms River, an area that provided protection for pirates from the ocean elements. A third area is Sandy Hook, near where Kidd anchored on his final voyage in the Raritan Bay. Probably the most famous and plausible burial site was just north of Sandy Hook near Wales Creek, which today is the southeast border of Middlesex and Monmouth counties. Just off the shoreline was a small island where some 17th century Spanish gold coins were found. This island became known as Money Island and was located off the coast where Cliffwood Beach is today. It has long since disappeared under the eroding waters of the Raritan Bay, aided by extensive excavation over the centuries. Just inland from this location is a small body of water once called Duck Pond, but now known as Treasure Lake, where some additional gold coins were found. What is not a legend, and cannot be disputed, was the existence of two gigantic elm elm trees, which were known as Kids Rangers. One was at the mouth of Matawan Creek in Keyport, and stood until the turn of this century. The other was located at Fox Hill, now known as Rose Hill. These trees, according to legend, acted as range markers to guide Kid back to his buried gold, and Cliffwood Beach is centered between these two markers when sailing west from Long Island. To this day, you can still see people occasionally searching for treasure at Cliffwood Beach using shovels and metal detectors. On occasion, some tiny bits of gold and silver silver are still found, but whether they are ancient or modern in age has not been determined. What is the the mysterious lost treasure of Captain Kidd? Where might it be, if it exists at all? Only one man knows, and his body disintegrated a long time ago. So if you're interested in searching for the lost treasure of Captain Kidd, I've given you all the clues I have. I expect if you find it, you'll cut me in for a share. That is the code, after all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for visiting with Nonsense the Show. 
My name is Captain Nick Potorf. This has been episode number 211 of Nonsense the Show. As always, I love you. I appreciate you. I'm glad you were here. I hope you enjoyed. Stay tuned next time. We'll talk about micronations, penis enlargements, and whatever else we can come up with. This is Nonsense the Show. I am Captain Nick. Thank you so very, very much.